boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. You guys, welcome to another episode of Binge Boys! Yay! With me, Hal Rudnick, and across from me on Zoom, Juan Harris. Juan, what is happening with you? Uh, you know, same the same old stuff, really. The usual, the usual things. It's Wednesday. We usually record on a Thursday. It's Wednesday. We're doing it. We're getting ahead. I just want to make sure we're able to, you know, get our podcast out. And, you know, before the weekend, maybe. Get that shit over with. Yes, get that shit over with. Clear that off my schedule and I can relax. Yes, well, I had to get the shows we were viewing out of the way for tonight because tonight I'm watching a little Lakers, Warriors, NBA play-in, the play-in tournament. What do you think of this play-in tournament, Lon? <laughs> uh, so the, you, you play... You play to get into the tournament, and then once you're in the tournament, you continue to play. Isn't every tournament, like, you play, and then based on how well you played, we decide if we want to see you play some more? Isn't life just one big tournament? You're always playing. Yes, doctor. That was Werner Herzog talking about it. No, that's not Herzog. That's like, that was stereotypical, like, German doctor voice, like... You know, like Nazi doctor, like, we have this of making you talk. Like, that was that. Werner Herzog, it's like slower, and it would be like, the game of basketball resembles the game, oh, yeah. the journey of our lives. We run back and forth with purpose, going nowhere, dribbling, uh, gaining no ground, dribbling. dribbling all over ourselves as we attempt to make a basket. Pretty good, Herzog. Lon Harris, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, there's a new playoff format, and uh, there's a big game tonight, LeBron versus Steph Curry. So, uh, mm. yeah, I'm just a— uh, How many times do you figure—and I really don't know. I'm not, okay. I'm not trying to make, like, a point. How many times do you figure LeBron and Steph Curry, in their careers to date, have played against each other in a basketball game? Oh, my goodness. Um, well— If you had to guesstimate, would it be—are we talking, like, five, or are we talking several hundred? Give me the, give me the ballpark. Oh, Dozens, uh, dozens. Okay, so it's it's still exciting every time because the variables, like other players, you don't know what's going to happen. Yes, and it depends on the circumstance. This is a new playoff format where they have a one-game play-in game here, and the winner gets a little bit of a, an easier slot in the playoffs. Okay. So this there's stakes. There's stakes for this okay, game. Okay, so, th so this game will decide... It'll it'll decide, uh, you know, it'll influence the next game. Yes, it'll influence playoff seeding. So because of the stakes of it's that. A, it's an attempt to trick you into raising the stakes. It's, a, it's an artificial way to make you more excited about what, in the end, will be just another basketball game. I mean, even the NBA Finals is just an, a basketball game that rule, the rules are the same. I mean, yeah, like that's all, that like sports is so much of that. It's like, you know, and I'm not, it's again, it's not a criticism. Like I, I don't think, it's all the same. I don't, I'm not into it. It's not a judgment. I just, it's interesting to me that if you run like a sports league, like this has to constantly be on your mind. It's like fundamentally, it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again ad infinitum. Like we've got to come up with ways to like goose it 
so that you're always like, ooh, you know, but like, you can't do wrestling. You can't just write storylines. You gotta like, it's gotta be real. You're absolutely right. This is a business and they are trying, they're constantly looking for more ways to siphon more money out of people's pockets. And I mean, I'm saying like, just make the game itself more exciting. Like make the stakes higher and add drama because otherwise you're watching 10 guys who are so good at this. Like they're all so good at this. Amp up the stakes, but at the same time, they want more revenue. That's exactly why the NFL has added a 17th game to what was formerly the 16 game regular season schedule. Right. And then this play-in tournament, this play on this, well, it's a combination. It's a combination of more revenue and it is a little bit more exciting. So yeah. It's drama, yeah. It's like it's like you you know you can't write the you can't write it so that John Cena and The Rock face off in the end because it's like whoever wins, you know, like they have oh, to. No. Yeah, the NBA often wants that. It's based on real results, so they have to just like goose it however they can, and I, I think that's interesting. Yeah, sports leagues, you know, they want it to be Yankees Red Sox every time or whatever, but it's. But sometimes right, course, if you don't end up with that, and then they're like, "God damn it, we have to, that's Tampa Bay and uh, whoever." Now, I think every team should always have to have one player on the court at all times who's just terrible, and that that adds drama. Hmm. Four amazing players, and you could pick which position the bad player is in. Like, if you want to have a bad center sure. versus a bad point guard, but I think that now we're, now you're adding drama. Or like, what if you get like you know, a couple of guys who are awesome at basketball, one guy who is just a power lifter, and um, and then an elderly person, then like a, a very, like an octogenarian. Yeah, right. You know, mix it up. So it's like, we've got four very good basketball players and a physicist who understands like the arc that the ball should travel. Like mm -hmm. maybe that will help, you know? Like let's experiment. They just can't be good at basketball. I love all your rule changes, Lon. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to second that motion, and uh, we'll bring it up to the board of governors. It was just one big rule change. Oh, uh, the physicist. No, it's just like uh, just just having all good people at sports is boring. Well, one person should be bad at sports. Yeah, yeah, mixing it up, Lon. Let's go to the news. What's in the news with Lon Harris? So Amazon, they're in talks to buy MGM. Now, the word is that MGM wants $9 billion for itself. That's that's their sense of self-worth. But recently, Comcast considered buying MGM, and they said it was only worth $6 billion. So we're really talking about a $3 billion gulf. Maybe Amazon will... Spend the extra money. Maybe they'll talk MGM down. This is what's going on right now. But if that happened, your boy Jeff Bezos Not would own mind. James Bond. He would own Rocky. He would own Pink Panther, Legally Blonde, Ooh. Stargate, RoboCop. I, I should add, uh, if we're talking about James Bond, I'm sure there's at least one stickler listening to this who already is aware. Technically, MGM only owns 50% of James Bond. This is always a big thing when they try to the sell. The Broccoli family. Right. Exactly. The Broccoli family, their heirs and Eon Productions, which is their company, mm -hmm. they own the other 50 percent flat out. So you basically have to go through them every time you want to make a James Bond movie. They have to, like, clear it and OK it. So it's 
it's sort of like buying James Bond. Like, no one else in Hollywood can make a Bond movie without you, mm-hmm. but you're also kind of selling a person, like, a pain in the ass. Like, here's a new thing for you to deal with every four years. Yep, if you try to pry it away from the broccoli family, you're going to end up with a cauliflower ear. Hey, these jokes. Nobody's getting it away from those broccolis. It's theirs. They're hanging on to it for dear life. Uh, vegetable sales are down. So this is all they've got going. True, true. I mean, uh, America, you know, they want fast food. They don't want produce. So let me ask you this, Lon. Hmm. If you buy MGM. If I buy it or if Amazon buys it? A little rich from my book. If Amazon buys MGM, do they also get ownership of the MGM hotel and casino in Las Vegas? No. They do not. And they also, it's important to remember, whenever we talk about these deals, people always get this in their head. And I get it. I'm not, like, I understand that all of the archives of all these studios are part of these deals. But usually they aren't. There were deals made in the 80s, the 90s, the aughts. Already most of those film archives got bought and sold by different companies. So this would not include the MGM parks and and the Mm -hmm. theme parks and whatever, the hotels. And this also doesn't include the classic, like, wizard of Oz, actually the Turner Corporation bought oh. most of that stuff in the 80s. So that's yeah. Warner Media now. Um, which you may have noticed in the Space Jam 2 trailer, there they, they pass by like a Wizard of Oz planet. That's because Warner and Turner now own Wizard of Oz, even though it was an MGM movie when it came out. So I haven't noticed the Wizard of Oz plan. There is a Wizard of Oz. There's an Emerald City in the distance they whiz past. Oh. It's another WB archive shout-out. But when you hear MGM, like some of the, like I mentioned, you know, it does include Legally Blonde, it does include Pink Panther, Stargate, Robocop, yes. a lot of valuable IP, but not, not all MGM movies going back all the way to the 20s and 30s. You know what? Um... I, I'm a, I try to kill sacred cows, Lon, except uh, when it comes to a few things. I'm a Pink Panther purist. I, uh, I've i never seen a Steve Martin Pink Panther. I'm a Peter Sellers ride or die. It's interesting because that Clouseau is a character that is so specific mm-hmm. to Peter Sellers and, and like was not even the main character. Like the original movie was about David Niven. Oh, it yeah. was just that he did such an amazing job that they made the franchise about him. So it's weird that it has been played by so many other characters. Alan Arkin did a, a Clouseau movie. Benini, Roberto Benini did a Clouseau movie. Oh, now wow. Steve Martin has done Clouseau movies. And it never, never plays. It never, like, nobody wants to see anybody but Peter Sellers do it. There's only one Clouseau for me. Even adding the queen herself, Beyonce, as she was in one of those mm-hmm. Steve Martin ones. I believe she was. There's only one clue so for me, Peter Sellers. I mean, I think it's also the uh, the animated Pink Panther. You could do something potentially with uh, with that guy. Sure, uh, like make uh, like make a siding. He used to sell insulation yeah. <laughs> in the '80s. Yeah. A whole generation only knows that character from selling insulation on TV. The insulation generation. Mm-hmm. There are MGM films coming up, too. Obviously, we've got a Bond mm-hmm. film. Ridley Scott's House of Gucci, that one with Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. That looks good, And yeah. P.T. Mm-hmm. Anderson's next movie, that 70s Valley period piece with Bradley Cooper. That's also going to be MGM. P.T. Anderson or Paul Thomas Anderson? Because there's a P.T. Anderson. There's uh, Paul W.S. Anderson. That's the other. Isn't there a P.T. Anderson? Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's what they call him. This is a seven, it's a period movie. It's set in the San Fernando Valley in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper is starring in it. We don't know a lot of other details about it yet, 
that will be an MGM release. So Amazon potentially could be scooping up these big Hollywood titles as well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know what? It'll make that Amazon uh, Prime membership that much more worth it. They should sponsor Binge Boys, those bastards. Right? I mean... We, we only talk about how horrible they are once every other week, I feel like. Talking about uh, their portrayal, how they... Should have gone harder at them in Nomadland and stuff like that. In Nomadland? Yeah. yeah, really. God damn it, Swanky, get on board. Come on. Uh, but that free delivery can't beat it. It's hard to beat. It's hard to beat. <laughs> what else is happening? Oh, okay. Moving on. Uh, HBO Max made several DC Comics-themed announcements this week. We're getting two new animated series, one mm -hmm. Batman Cape Crusader. Now, this is coming from J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves, who are making a live-action yes. Batman movie right now. They're also making a live-action HBO Max show about the Gotham Police Department that was already announced. So this is a third Batman project from those guys. Uh, but also Bruce Timm, who worked on the 90s Batman the Animated Series, so mm -hmm. beloved and iconic. Yes by our generation. He's also on board. So a lot of people are sort of interested in what that's going to be. They also announced a... Was there any early art from that show? There's one... We get one poster with a Batman who's got very long, pointy bat ears. Giant ears, yes. So, yeah, that was uh, the correct uh, picture that I saw. Yeah, the... Too big. Those ears are too big. Yeah, that's the only art we've got Those so far. Those ears are too big. It's not very practical. It's just, it's not very practical. And I, I, I guess bats do have big ears, but they're not, they don't stick straight up like that. Uh, you know what? I'll say those ears are too big. I'll also say those ears are uh, fucking dumb looking. Yeah. Wow. It's just, it feels like it's a practicality. They, somebody could oh, grab yeah. him by that. feels like it could knock it. When he's doing his like swooping moves, it could knock on something. It just feels like the tiny Ben Affleck ones make more sense. Like someone can grab him like Bugs Bunny, you know, like you grab uh, a rabbit by the ears. Well, and even just pull the cowl off and then, you know, well, then where are you? Bruce. Then it was like a Bruce Wayne. Why are you dressed as Batman? Yeah, that was walking. Yeah. Chris Walken. Yes. Batman Returns, yeah. So we, we got that. There's also My Adventures with Superman. This is a sort of younger-themed Cartoon Network Superman show. It is going to be focused on uh, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen working at the Daily Planet mm. in their 20s, hanging out, being friends, probably end up, uh, you know, fighting crime. Not sure who the My, it's called My Adventures with Superman, is it Lois Lane's mm -hmm. Is it Jimmy Olsen? Is it Clark pretending that he's having adventures with Superman as opposed to being Superman? We huh. just don't know. Interesting. Who, who's, Whose lens is this through? Who, yeah. What's the POV on our metropolis here? Maybe, maybe the my is us. Maybe every week I feel like I'm on a little adventure with Superman. We the viewers. Oh, it's like a Cronenbergian voyeuristic, uh, yeah, implicating the audience. Or like a, a little bit of a peep show kind of vibe, uh, like first person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they should have Mitchell and Webb write it. I feel like it should have a peep show kind of vibe. Love that. I would watch a Mitchell and Webb Superman show for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know what? I said uh, that Batman uh, cowl looked uh, fucking dumb looking. And uh, here's, uh, here's, an you did. here's another hot take. Too many Superman shows. How many Superman shows are there? How many, how many Kryptonian Superman shows are there, Lon? Right now, there's Superman and Lois, that one that's on CW. Super, Supergirl. Oh, we're, we're talking all Kryptonians. Okay, well then, yeah, those are the two. Too many. 
<laughs> Are you thinking that there, there was Krypton, but that's done Lois now. And, Clark. and there was Smallville, but that's done now. And yeah, there was Lois and Clark, mm-hmm. that's done now. So I mean like they're 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 have they we're never getting rid of these characters. There's always gonna be something with them going mm-hmm. on. But it does. Uh, we, we've got one more. They're, they also announced the Bad Boys for Life duo of Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. Those two guys are going to work on a Batgirl film for HBO Max that will be written by Christina Hodson. She cool. wrote Birds of Prey for DC Comics and uh, Bumblebee. She also wrote the the Transformers prequel Bumblebee. Man, uh, she's she's killing it. Yeah, she's good. Christina Hodson's pretty good. Yeah, so she's going to write this uh, this Batgirl. They've been working on a Batgirl film for a really long time. There was a Joss mm-hmm. Whedon Batgirl film that was going on for a while. There have been many, many fingers on that now, but now it's going to go directly to HBO Max from the Bad Boys 3 guys, which I think is good. That sounds, that sounds good to me. But it's interesting that if you look at DC Comics, it's in a really interesting place right now in terms of the movie adaptations. The only like real powerhouse ongoing DC Comics movie franchises that we have are Shazam and Aquaman right now. We've got a big Aquaman movie coming out. We've got Shazam 2 and Black Adam both expanding right. that corner of the DC cinematic world. But Wonder Woman 3 is a long way off if it ever even happens because Patty Jenkins, she's got a lot of stuff on her plate aside from that. We're made this Flash movie is in the works, but that would be a kickoff mm. for Ezra Miller's Flash. We don't have anything else. The you know Batman is spinning off in this totally different reboot direction. No Superman movies right now, so it's just like they, it, they're really zeroing in on some odd characters, and everything else seems to be going to HBO Max. Oh, and don't forget about the Squad. Don't forget. Well, about right. The squad. I mean, that, but that's also kind of that's not a continuation. That's also sort of a reboot. Like they're not. Mm, I mean, you still got you know you still got Harley Quinn and. Hey. Yeah, it, it's a hybrid. I mean, they're 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 bringing in some elements, but they're definitely kind of re reformatting that whole one. And they're bringing. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, and John Cena is going to pick up his character Peacemaker. He's also getting an HBO Max mm-hmm. show. So it's interesting that I feel like most of the DC Comics world building at this point seems like it's going to be happening on HBO Max, right. and they're just going to save big anticipated projects with a bunch of stars for the theaters. I kind of like that though, because the MCU is like, the MCU has done pretty, pretty well as far as uh, laying out a game plan and succeeding at that game plan and making, you know, keeping the floor fairly high as far as the quality and the ceiling, you know, is there's been a lot of good to very good, decent stuff. But it, they're kind of in that one lane. The TV stuff, the cinematic stuff, it all fits together. Whereas DC, you can have a movie like Joker, you can have Matt Reeves, the Batman, you can have Suicide Squad, all these different kind of properties that might not necessarily cross paths. Right. Um, so I like what it's become. I kind of like what DC is becoming. And they're giving up on the idea that you're going to watch all of this stuff in some kind of sequence right. and follow it. It's it's all spread to the winds. We've got mm-hmm. Doom Patrol over here. We're going to have the Harley Quinn animated series. It's just it's kind of just like pick your poison, take what you like, and leave the rest. Uh, so that that's all the stuff that's going on with DC and HBO Max. And, of course, we're going to hear... Within months, we're going to be hearing about big changes at Warner and how they're redirecting because there's a whole new team coming in now that Discovery is taking over Warner Brothers and uh, AT&T is out. So we're going to get a lot of sea change kind of stuff as David Zaslav, the incoming Discovery CEO, makes some calls and decides how he wants to do things. So that'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see. 
Uh, moving on, we got two CBS dramas that we have confirmed will be cut from the TV schedule and go right to oh. Paramount Plus. It's kind of an indication that Paramount Plus is now becoming like the, the CBS spillover. So like they've got a new Survivor this fall, CBS. They've got new editions of the CSI, FBI, and NCIS franchises. Oh all goodness. those letters. Hard to even keep it straight. So all that's coming to the main CBS lineup. They just don't have room for all of the shows that were like on the bubble, maybe going to get renewed. So they cut some of them, but SEAL Team and Evil are going to go to Paramount+. Plus, and now they're talking about Clarice as well, the the sort of Silence of the Lambs yep. sequel show. That might also go over to Paramount+. Plus. So it's going to live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Right. They're, they're no longer going to air. They These are all shows that used to air on CBS, like... Tuesday nights at 9, tune in. And now, no longer on TV, new episodes will just go directly to Paramount Plus and it'll be a streaming show. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I mean, th- this is probably pretty snobbish, but I find, uh, well, what else is new coming from me, Aaron? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Rudnick. I don't know. I-, I find so many of those shows pretty pedestrian and, uh, like, that. You mean the acronym shows like FBI and CSI? And- yeah, I, I'm. I am a little. I am a little snobbish in my taste. Like, I want to. If I'm going to watch an hour drama, it's going to be a prestige like show. Oh boy! Oh, he, he, folks. He had his pinky in the air while he said that a prestige drama. Uh, I have to say, evil is pretty good. The see, it, it has a lot of procedural elements. It's definitely. In that in that world, yeah. it's yeah. Mike Coulter, uh, and then um, I'm blanking on the sure. on the actress's name. She's um, she's Ed Harris's daughter yeah. on oh. Westworld. Yeah. It's that actress, mm-hmm. and I'm blanking on her name. And then it also has Michael Emerson from Lost. He was Ben Linus on Lost. He's the villain, uh, and it is so. It's it's it, Anasif Manvi, oh, who used yes. to be on the Daily mm-hmm. Show. Uh, he's also in mm-hmm. there. I like that guy too. It's a it's a fun show. It's like they are researchers, they work for the Vatican, and they try to debunk miracles. So people report miracles, and then this team from the Catholic Church goes and tries to disprove that it's a miracle. But of course, oftentimes, turns out, oh, wow, they are miracles. Or at least they're, they're supernatural in in nature. And then there's an overarching plot where there are like, there's a group of Satanists who are trying to bring like demons to earth that they end up having to like fight and oppose. Oh, scary. Uh, it's the creators of uh, The Good Fight, the good, the good Wife and The Good Fight. It's the gotcha. it's that same duo. It's, it's fun. You okay, know. all right, you're starting to sell me on it. Do they ever find one of those pieces of bread uh, that has Jesus's face on it, like a piece of toast? Like, um, or, or like, no. I got <laughs> No, it's that, it's a lot of exorcism-y type stuff, or it's a lot of like, people think someone's possessed, or people think somebody saw an angel, or like, it's it's that kind of stuff. Uh, Robert and Michelle King, that's their name. Or what about creator. like, a woman goes through menopause, and now like, oh, 65-year-old lady is pregnant. Is that one? That could be an episode, but it has not been yet. What about like a guy who's like, it's, it's like demon stuff. You're not thinking demon. 65-year-old guy who's got, like, really low testosterone, like, very bad erectile dysfunction. And, like, all of a sudden he's like, whoa, look at this boner. Time to investigate. Is, is one of the miracles they're investigating a guy getting a boner? That's your question? Like an old guy who hasn't gotten a boner in, like, years. I, I mean, I don't— it, it, 
I, I, no, that, that I, it doesn't come up. I think mostly because of standards and practices and also because it sound, does not sound like an interesting story. Because how would you investigate that? Well, here's the thing. That, see, that's why I go for these prestige shows on HBO, because then if you want to show like this guy's boner, you have that option. That's, that's why I'm sticking with prestige. Right. Yes. That was, sounds like a great season-long arc on Hung. Maybe okay. not even. All right. Noted. Okay, you know what? With a little with a little change here and a little change there, I can turn my evil spec script into a hung spec script. Into a hung spec. It's only been off the air for a decade or more. Kumail Nanjiani signed on for a Hulu series. He's going to play... Oh, the buff. The buff Kumail Nanjiani. Yes, and it makes sense when you hear this. He's going to play Soman Steve Banerjee, the founder ah, of Chippendales. Yes. It's a darkly comic... Apparently... The story of the founding of Chippendales, Mm -hmm. I did not know this. Apparently there's a crime element. It's a little sleazier and more scandalous than maybe you would think. And the creator was this Indian-American immigrant. The male strip club story is sleazier than I think. Would you imagine the story behind – I would have thought the story behind Chippendales would be – because it's the corporate version of that. It's not like the the, the dive bar version. But I would imagine there's a little bit of grift and greed in there. I would have thought it started on like a cruise ship or something, but apparently you – What kind of cruise ships are you going on, Lon? Good ones. Uh, But apparently you are correct. It started as some sort of like – criminal enterprise and then went legit over time. I mean, it just doesn't surprise me. You know what? I think Kumail Nanjiani needs to change his name to, instead of Kumail Nanjiani, the perfect male Nanjiani, because that guy, he looks great. Listen, it's amazing what a proper diet, uh, working out, and then an entire dump truck full of HGH can do. Yes. (laughs) Don't leave out that last part. (laughs) (laughs) You do have to ingest an entire dump truck full of HGH. I just love, listen, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not talking down. If they were like, Lon, shoot this into your veins and eat this shit and you'd be in a Marvel movie, I would do it. But um, nobody's ever making that offer, but I would. But it's not a judgmental thing. But I do think it's very yeah, funny. It's just Hollywood. I remember when Sylvester Stallone was flying into Australia and he got busted with all right. this HGH he was carrying with him. Yeah. I do think it's very funny that even in 2021, when we all yeah. know how this stuff works, and when these guys are making these transformations in like mm-hmm. three months or six months, uh, that we all just still pretend it's just like eating asparagus and, and hitting the old gym. Like, you got to do that stuff. I'm not calling mm-hmm. Chris Pratt a liar. I'm sure he does eat a lot of brown rice. But like, that's not all you're doing. Like, you're leaving out a part that made your arm the size of a tree, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, uh, that super soldier serum you're taking. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like, you can't, do that. come on. I know you're not just lifting weights. It's ridiculous. Uh, but hey, but whatever it is, uh, it worked. Yeah, well done. It worked great. You looked terrific. They looked terrific. So Rob Siegel, he wrote Pam yes. and Tommy for Hulu, yep. that upcoming Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee. He also wrote this, uh, plus the movies, The Founder and The Wrestler. Oh, cool. Oh, I love The Wrestler. The Wrestler's great. Yeah. So uh, so that that's coming up. Look, looking forward to that on Hulu. Plus, we watched uh, we watched some trailers. I sent you some trailers. If you did your homework. I did, I did. I sent you two trailers. First one is called Only Murders mm-hmm. in the Building. This is a Hulu comedy series. Steve Martin co-created it. He also stars alongside Martin Short and Selena Gomez. They play neighbors who are true crime podcast obsessives and they come to believe a murder has happened in their 
uh, classy Upper West Side apartment mm-hmm. building, and they're gonna they're gonna get to the bottom of it. I really like the looks of this show because I I enjoy that Steve Martin Martin Short dynamic. Also, I uh, like mm-hmm. I, I think we should see more of Selena Gomez as an actor. She should be in more stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big Spring Breakers fan, and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun energy to have these two kind of old guys who appeal to a boomer mm-hmm. and maybe a Gen X crowd mixing it up with someone unexpected who's much younger who's got an entirely different audience. And if you look at the YouTube comments, it's a lot of people who don't even know who Steve Martin mm-hmm. and Martin Short are, but are still like, "This looks hilarious! I'm so glad there's a you know Selena's doing this." So. Uh, it, it, it's a real nice moment of maybe like bringing these two worlds together. Uh, I will also say, you know, it must be at least kind of funny or a good idea if it got Steve Martin away from that banjo. Yep. Not a banjo in sight, mm-hmm. the full trailer. And how many decades has it been since we've gotten him away from that fucking banjo? Yep. Uh, you know what? He is, if he's not doing comedy with Martin Short, he is picking that round guitar. Did you watch, he did that special where that comedy special with Martin Short, and I was like, I have been assured that this is comedy. He's brought another comedian with him. I feel safe watching this. Mm -hmm. Like 45 minutes in, that fucking banjo comes out. It's like, you son of a... You lied. You lied to me. Just when you thought it was safe to click... That fucking round guitar comes out. I feel like I'm being very judgy today and I'm trying to talk my way out of it and it's not working, but it's just not for me. He's a a playwright, he's a musician, he's a comedian. Any, uh, just like get into the harpsichord, like pick a different old timey instrument. It's been a long time. All right, what are you going to do? He's a wild and crazy guy. He's going to do Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. (laughs) Our 65 year old and up listeners are uh, loving that one. You remember when he was on SNL back in 78? (laughs) (laughs) When you were allowed to be, when white men were allowed to be funny. Yes, yes, SNL. Before we were all told no more jokes. Oh, there is no safe space for a straight white male anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see that? Did you see that clip from Joe Rogan? It's the funniest thing ever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, for, for the guy who's got the most popular podcast in the world world. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny to watch the clip because you hear it or you hear it quoted and you're imagining like he's he's half joking at least, but then you watch it and he's fucking dead serious. Like he believes this day is coming that oh he's going to be like, Joe Rogan, you're not allowed to leave your house or talk anymore because you're a white man. Like he thinks that's going to happen to him. Like, sorry, sorry, Joe. There's also space for other voices. <laughs> Uh, you're going to be fine, Joe. He's got he's got real fear in his heart. Fear uh, should not be a factor for him. And yet, no, here we are. Because he hosted the show and because he takes massive amounts of HGH. HGH, also <laughs> on the, the Chris Hemsworth Kumail plan. Yes. Uh, one, more, one more trailer that we yeah. saw, The Lost Symbol. This is a Peacock yeah. series from Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. They produced mm-hmm. the Da Vinci Code Dan Brown film series. They are also producing this. It is based on a Dan Brown novel, and it serves as an origin story for noted university professor and symbologist Robert Langdon. That's who Tom Hanks is playing in yes. the films. Ashley Zuckerman plays him in the series. He's got to solve a devious string of historical and religious-themed puzzles in order to save his mentor, who's played by Eddie Izzard. Oh, yeah. 
Um, very nice. Really enjoy some uh, Eddie Izzard. And the actor uh, playing uh, Robert Langdon, he... Uh, Ashley Zuckerman is the name of that actor. Last saw him on A Teacher. Yes, correct. Uh, he was the uh, the scorned husband. Correct. He's, yeah, Kate Mara's, Kate Mara's husband. Her, her, her appropriately aged partner who she rejects. Yes. Uh, although, you know, he, he... She got mad at him when he bought all that music equipment. I feel like he should have run that by her. I want to litigate the petty arguments... <laughs> At the time, we noted, it's like when you make up, like, he had to do something dumb so that she could get mad at him, so yes. that she would seemingly have this excuse to, like, chase this other guy. I want to go cheat. Yeah. Yeah, it all feels a little perfunctory. Like, yeah. uh, w wouldn't he maybe run it by her? Like, I, you know, it just feels like, well, he had to do that so she had something to get mad at. He had to be, like, a dope. It just, it's a little forced. Yeah. That's it for the news, Hal. That's all I got. Now that we've relitigated the, uh, you know, the, the a teacher crisis, the petty arguments from a teacher. You know, Lon. Uh, before, did you ever watch the the entirety of a teacher? Oh, I did. I did. I, I enjoyed the show. Oh, I didn't. I gave up. I gave up oh. like two thirds of the way through. I didn't. I didn't See, finish. it was it was pulpy enough. Um, I thought it ended with a little bit of a, a, a whimper. So I was smart. I was smart to uh, not bother. Yeah, you know, it was just kind of soapy. It was... Uh, I know what I'm doing, folks. Yeah, Stick it was with me. decently done for what it was, but uh, yeah, uh, not, not exactly uh, mandatory. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, folks. We should come up with a rating system and like uh, one of the ratings will be not exactly mandatory viewing. <laughs> Yes, we should come up with the most <laughs> wishwashy <laughs> writing system. I like the idea that we're the non-committal, anxiety-ridden reviewers. Like, like the top rating will be like, you're probably going to want to watch. Yeah, so it's like every rating starts with, well, you don't have to listen to us, but that's. I actually kind of like this, so let's. I'm gonna make a yeah. note. It's it's a it's a it's a one to ten star scale, but all of our ratings fall between four and six. I love a wishy-washy rating system because, you know, rating systems are like, they're so, like, I feel like every <laughs> incarnation has been done. But the, the wishy-washy... Uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to make fun of a, of, a, of a guy who's a lot more successful than me. But, um, you know, John Green, the guy who wrote, uh, you know, Fault in Our Stars, a big, yes. big, big author, started as a YouTuber. Mm -hmm. So he's got a new book out. Uh, and it's it's called the Anthropocene Reviewed. We're in the Anthropocene era right now. So the idea is he's just reviewing mundane, everyday things and giving them a rating between one and five stars. He's been doing a book tour about it all week. I haven't read it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't think anyone pointed out to him that his book has the same premise as the Comedy Central series Review. Which is, oh. that's exactly what Andy, Andy Daly's Forrest McNeil did on review. Was he just be like, pancakes, four stars. And it's just like, that's I can't, funny. every time I'm reading about Jack Green talking about this idea, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's review. Yeah, there was You're already a review. really good comedy there was a show. Whole, with that. There was a whole comedy show based on a guy doing exactly what you're doing, except you're doing it for real. Like it's a real <laughs> thing. And he did it as a goo as a stupid goof about a guy who's an idiot. Uh, speaking of stupid goofs, Lon. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jack Green. I'm, I'm sure it's a great book. I didn't mean it. Oh, no. Uh, like stup uh, also, stupid goof can apply to much of what we do on this podcast. But before we move on to the shows we watched, mm -hmm. uh, you and I, we, we, uh, we put out a call. Where did we put out this call? I don't remember this uh, at all. We put it out on uh, on WhatsApp and on what, what we did a what we did a call on WhatsApp. Could you just put out a general call, or did we call a specific person? 
we, we just tried to put out a general call, and it was completely unsuccessful. Yeah. And well, that wouldn't work. I mean, you don't. It's it's one to one. And then we put out a call on Parlor, and got mm. some very unfortunate responses. Yeah. Wow. They. I should not have put a Star of David on top of all of my posts over there. That was my um, first mistake. Yeah. That's uh, that can be troubling in a, for a lot of ways uh, right now. You don't want to self-identify over there. Yeah. But we, we put out a call for people with ideas that might be centric to movies and TV and stuff. And we, we have someone who wants to come by and see if we'd like to invest or is looking for investors for their business idea. So it's kind of like our version of Shark Tank, I guess. Sure. It's like, it's like Binge Tank. Binge Tank. So yeah. uh, I, I just thought of that right now. Top Nicely of the done. Nicely done. That, that's why uh, you are the, uh, the branding czar. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call, that is what they call me. That's fair. So I'd like to welcome in to share his idea with us. I'm going to step away and let him uh, step to the microphone here. Hugo Duval. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, very nice to be on the, uh, the streaming podcast. Thank you, Lon. Welcome. Thanks, thanks Hugo, for being here. So... Here's my idea. Movie theaters. They uh they took a little sabbatical because we were going through a, a international pandemic. But yeah, now they're coming back. They're coming back. And a lot of them are doing this thing where you can rent out a theater. So I would like to ask you and your listeners for two billion dollars. That's a lot. In order to buy Pacific theaters and then turn them all into rental theaters. You can rent out the theater. It's a party and you could do, here's our slogan, rent out a theater and do whatever the fuck you want in it. So so the idea is you you buy this theater company. They've got all of these movie theaters that are pre-built. Yes. You don't put, you don't run movies in them. You just leave them there. Yeah, we do run a movie. We do run movies. We do but you don't you don't movies. schedule the movie. You you don't negotiate with studios about what movies. You just people come rent the theaters and then they use them to watch whatever they want. We'll probably still run the first run new movies. We'll start. It's still going to be the first run new movie. Really? Yes. You don't think? Let me ask you for for sure. the for the purposes of this bit. You don't think it would have yes. been a cleaner setup to just rent out the theaters? You you feel like we got to do this hybrid model? Yes. Because people, it seems still like it confuses the back People's, and forth right now. Nah, you know what? It confuses the back and forth because we did very little planning before talking about <laughs> okay. what it would be, and we're figuring it out as we're going along. Because we want it's for the movie going experience, but you're going to be safe because you're with your friends, you're vetting who you rent it out with, and you're going to schedule first run Hollywood movies. Yes. But not sell tickets. You're only no. going to rent out the theater. Yes. The entire theater. Yes. So if I just show up and I'm like, I want to see Spiral. One ticket, please. You're like, get out. Yes. But if you want to rent out the theater, 
it'll cost you a hundred and seventy dollars. Okay, so I, I show up and I'm like, I want to watch Spiral. And you're like, great, we have several entire theaters available for several hundred dollars that you can rent out. And that's the business idea. You go get nine of your friends, and then the business idea is that you rent it out, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. That's the key. You, because but I'm just like, you watch Spiral. I mean, what can you do in a movie theater? Lawn, 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 lawn. So let's say you want to go to watch a movie, but you, listen, you're you're a heavy two-pack-a-day smoker, okay? And it's like, oh, I want to watch Spiral so bad, but I got, I'm jonesing. I'm going to take a smoke break in the middle. Now, you could smoke a cigarette in that movie theater because remember our slogan, Pacific Theaters, rent it out and do whatever the fuck you want. Or we'll, we might change the name from Pacific. I still don't see, first of all, I don't think that's allowed. I don't think you could have a business in California where people are smoking indoors because you've got employees who would still have to be around the theater to clean up. And now they're inhaling secondhand smoke. So I think you've got a legal issue there. But I also feel like it's it's just, it's going to be very difficult because every time you want to sell a ticket, you've got to rent out an entire theater. I just feel like, like, what are people going to be doing in these theaters other than maybe watching a movie, maybe smoking while they watch a movie? Let me ask you this. Have you, how many times have you been in sitting in a movie theater, Lon, 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 and, and you, you, you said to yourself, ooh, I like this movie, but I wish I could vape right now. You could vape. You could vape. Lon, let me ask you this. It seems like how a would, lot of your business is just pre- predicated on wanting to smoke while you're watching a movie. No, no, also hookah. And since smoking rates are declining, but I mean, we're fewer and fewer smokers in the U.S. each year. I don't know if I would start a whole... How many... Let me ask you this, Lon. Lon, how long was, how long was Avengers Endgame? It's about three hours. It's a little less than so three hours. So how many times during that three hours did you say to yourself, oh, I wish I could pull on a hookah right now? I, I For me, I, I don't usually pull on a hookah. So I did not have that thought while watching Endgame. I'm sure there are. I feel like that's a thing, too. You kind of got to have a hookah built in. I was jonesing for my hookah. I was jonesing for my hookah. You're, would you bring your own hookah to the theater? No, because you're not allowed. But at Pacific Theaters, rent it out and do whatever the fuck you want theaters, you could have a hookah with five different fucking tubes coming out of it. You and your friends are, are hookahing and Avengers Endgaming or whatever the movie is. Let me ask you this, Lon, how many times were you sitting in Avengers Endgame and were you like, ooh, I would love to hit my tiny little glass crack pipe. I would love to, I would love to fire up my crack. So it's, it's really just a business for people who want to do drugs in a movie theater. No, them, no. And I, I no, gotta tell you, no. I feel like for most of that audience, they're just, they're just doing drugs in the movie theater. And if they get kicked out, you know, that's part of the deal, baby. Maybe, but you could, how many times have you been sitting in a movie theater and you're like, oh, I wish I was here with a bunch of my friends doing sex. Huh? Oh, like an or like, well, that also, I, I mean, I just, I feel like on some fundamental level, a movie theater is just not a great place for group sex. Like maybe two people could negotiate the cup holder situation, but a group you want, you want to spread out. Why wouldn't you just rent out like, you know, a- you get in the aisle, you pile on, you have those seats where the armrests go this is up. This what hotel rooms are for. No, but the hotel room, you're not playing first run brand new movies like 
the like the saw presents uh, spiral. I mean, you've got me there. I, I you're, you're watching, watching spiral you're watching and you're spiral having an orgy and, at the same time. Yes. Yes. Who's going to yes. work? I, I feel like I, I'm concerned for your employees. They're they're getting the brunt of a lot of this behavior. You know, they're cleaning up after orgies. They're breathing in hookah and crack smoke. I mean, you, you're going to have to really pay these people a premium, right? I mean, that's that's got to factor into your business plan. You know, slightly above. We'll, we'll, we'll pay them at least minimum wage. At least minimum wage. I mean, they're cleaning slightly up slightly above. Like you've got a lot of crazy stuff happening. Let me ask you this: How many times have you wanted to be in a movie theater? Imagine this scenario: There's a new Purge movie coming out, The Forever Purge. What if mm-hmm. you were in a lawless, crime-ridden place while you were watching the movie in that theater where anything goes? I I think I'm, on a fundamental level, you seem to misunderstand the idea that just because you'd own the theater, if people did illegal things inside it, it's still illegal. You can't kill anyone even inside a movie no, you've rented. No, that rent- theater is international waters. That theater... Are they, wait, are you buying Pacific Ocean theaters? You know what, I'd like... Because if you are in international waters, that's a different story. I would like to put a theater on a barge. And Peter that, Thiel's uh, got a Seastead theater. Yes, yes uh, tech giant Peter Thiel is going to uh, <laughs> might bankroll us. Um, I'm in talks, but we're still looking for that $2 billion. Just we're looking for an angel investor with $2 billion. Uh, so it's, 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 not, it's not for really a night out. It, you're planning ahead. What about this dark turn? How many times have you been in a movie theater and wanted to have a phone call during the movie? This is the worst concept yet. This is inappropriate. Like? I don't ever want to take a phone call during a movie. I don't want to take a phone call. Yes, you, you can answer your phone, you can chit-chat on your phone, you can use the light on your phone, you can text, you can leave, you, you don't even have to leave it on silent. We don't- I like a lot of the new phones you. don't even Turn make call you up on your phone at Pacific Theaters Presents, the rent it out and do whatever the fuck you want theaters. My name is Hugo Duval. I, so what about, how much of my two billion would you like to? Uh, I, I don't want to give you any money because I'm very concerned that it would go to crack. I think that I think that be, that that's already become pretty clear that that's part of the budget. It's figuring into a lot of these plans. Uh, that seems like kind of a problem for me. You're a very smart cookie, Lon Harris. Well, thank you for letting me come on. If any of you, if any of you listeners uh, uh, want to want to give uh, give me some money, do not. Me. Nobody give this man any money. All right. Goodbye. That's how every episode of Binge Tank is going to end. It'll be like, no one ever give this person any money. That was Hugo Duval, everybody. Um, yeah, a real. I don't actually even think the hmm. international waters thing is true about international waters. I don't even think that's that that holds. You could if you do a crime at sea, it's yeah. still a crime. Well, yeah, if you murder someone at sea, you're going to get prosecuted by somewhere. You somewhere. can't kill a person on like a cruise ship. That's not copacetic. Well, just uh, if you want to know how that goes, watch. Adam Sandler's murder mystery. Didn't <laughs> someone get killed on a cruise ship? I, I, I wouldn't yacht. watch that. I wouldn't watch that garbage. What are I you watched about? it with my wife. I haven't seen Adam Sandler's murder mystery with Jennifer Aniston. Okay, yeah. it's Lon, not a binge you... boys episode unless housewife gets a shout out. So yes. we qualify. Thank you. Hi, wife. Okay, coming back around. Uh, we are going to talk about hacks on HBO Max and HBO. Binge in the fuck out of shit!
Juan, we watched Hacks on HBO, H- HBO Max, and um, I enjoyed it. It's actually just HBO Max. This is not an HBO show. This is a oh. Max original. Oh, gotcha. Max original. And um, you know what? I love that Gene Smart. This The, the Gene smart is is here. It's real. And uh, c- count me in. I'm on board. She's great. It's it's a very it's a very well written. It's a super tight show. Like like the pilot is just like so clean. Like I I've got to admire it on some level. It's like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel formulaic. It doesn't feel predictable. But it's just like wow. You learn everything you need to know about these people. It's remarkably efficient storytelling. It's yeah. just hitting it on all cylinders from like the first moment. And it's really funny. Like it's densely packed with jokes. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of comedy series, especially this style, where they're, like, a little bit more realism, a little bit more slice of life, they they, they, they kind of excuse, like, well, it doesn't have to be laugh a minute. Like, I really like um, Glow, uh, yes. that Netflix series Glow, but it's not it's not always laugh a minute. Sure. They get by a lot on, it's charming, it's fun, you like the characters, so you're willing to kind of wait for them to build up to the big laugh moments. Hacks is just, like, Moment to moment, they're just joke. It's a little bit like Girls Five Eva. Mm-hmm. It's just a very funny show about very quippy people, and it's like densely packed with humor. Uh, and yeah, I, I'd like blaze through it. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. I'm uh, still uh, working my way through it, but really enjoyed it. Not just uh, what hacks. There's only two episodes so far. Oh, that that then that's all I've watched. <laughs> When you say blaze through it, I'm like, wow, you watched the whole damn thing already? Okay. I mean, the first two episodes, I, I, I just, they went very yes. fast. But no, there's only, they're going to release it, they're doing a weekly thing like it was an HBO show. So there'll be right. new episodes on Thursdays. Yeah, really enjoyed Gene Smart, as I said. Also, Hannah Einbender, who is the daughter of Lorraine Newman. Lorraine uh, Newman. SNL uh, alum from the very first cast of SNL. And uh, she's great, too. I thought Hannah Einbender really captures that kind of, like, millennial slash Gen Z vibe of, like, you know, and plus, like, you know, being in L.A., like, you know, a bunch of writers and comedy people and stuff. Yeah. And really captured that kind of, like, you know, uh, the social media and some of the uh, mindsets and aspects of that life. It's funny because the the three creators of Hacks are it's the Broad City trio. It's the people that their last show was Broad City, and right. she's playing a very prototypical Broad City writer. Like mm-hmm. I, it almost does feel like them sending up their specific world and subculture on some levels, which is uh, which is fun. Absolutely. And like dealing with very real things like blowback from like Twitter and having like well, a, that, an ill I'm glad you brought that up because that's the one thing, my one, if I had to make one, and it's not a complaint about the show, but it is a thing that stood out to me. Yeah. Part of the plot is Hannah Einbender's this younger comedy writer and she's sort of on the outs in the industry because of a controversial tweet. And it's, they don't tell us what it was right away. They kind of delay, delay, like the reveal of what this controversial tweet was going to be. And then Mm -hmm. when we finally find out what it is, doesn't feel particularly edgy or controversial at all. Yeah, it was like, like she made a, a tweet against someone that ended up being taken as as homophobic, whereas she was trying to call out hypocrisy. Right, like she's making fun of a closeted senator. It, it yeah. obviously feels like it's supposed to be a Lindsey Graham kind of thing, like about how everybody makes fun of those rumors that Lindsey Graham... Slash Mike Pence, because Mike Pence had the pray the gay away kind of uh, stuff in Indiana. Sure, but right. And, and But it's just like... 
I feel like they really needed to go for it, especially if you're going to make us wait. If you're not going to reveal it right away and make us wait for what, what this outrageous thing that she said was, it, it should be outrageous. It's the one false note in the whole show so far. It's just like, well, that doesn't – to get her blackballed? Like she couldn't get a job on any comedy show for, yeah. you know, a tweet about a closeted Republican senator? I don't really see it. Yeah, agreed. I, f- I felt like, you know, especially you kind of nailed it there, the uh, the weight, and then it wasn't quite worth the weight. Also, man, I might just be too close to that, you know, the world of like, you know, comedy and stuff, but some of the stuff felt a little caricature-y, and then, sure, it, then yeah. it shifted gears and felt like a sharp character study. I felt like all of Gene Smart stuff, like, really spot on and sharp and interesting. But then, like, the world of Ava, uh, Hannah Einbender's character. Right. There were moments where it was like, oh, this is a little broad, but maybe it's just trying to uh, be more accessible to let more people into this world. There is an aspect of it where you've got people who are in their clearly 30s or maybe 40s who are doing the writing. Mm -hmm. And they are making fun of people who are in their 20s or their 60s. So, Mm -hmm. like, you do have a little bit of that, like, there's a judgmental edge to some of it where it's not being written by the people it's about. It's being, it's snarking on them. So I think you could read some of that in. There are jokes that feel like, you know, Gen X making fun of Zoomers. Yes. You know, like that That only goes so far. There, You're always inevitably going to get the, like, old man yelling at cloud stuff where it's like, well, you just, you know. Right. Th- that's the kids, you know? Like, it's the children who are wrong, you know? And some of the, like, some of the agent stuff, I just feels like entourage light or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Well, Meg Stalter is playing, like, the agent's extremely over-the-top, terrible secretary, and yeah. she's very funny, but it does mm-hmm. kind of feel like a character from a different show. Like, it feels like she's from the Faye Carlock Girls 5 Eververse, yes. but she wound up in the Hacksverse. Right. I feel like that touches on, like, the caricature versus characters. I'm not saying it's yeah. unfunny, but then, yeah, some of the stuff feels like, oh, uh, like, typical bad agent character. But that aside, I, I like the dynamic between... Um, these these two women. I haven't seen this movie, but uh, it, it makes me think of Emma Thompson and uh, Mindy Kaling in that late night. Oh yeah, that right. It makes uh, me wonder oof. about that. This is this is better than that. Gotcha. <laughs> but no, I I absolutely recommend this show. I uh, again, um, it's nice seeing these two funny women going back and forth, being co- like coming at it from different corners, like you said, like. You know, um, one yeah, sixty years old versus a uh, woman in her twenties, and the sparks fly. It's it's super fun to watch. So I enjoyed it a lot, and it it, it does it feels like a show that's got a lot of of, of, of cross generational appeal. Like I feel like mm-hmm. if you were an older person who liked Jean Smart, you could totally see this from her perspective, and it would be very funny. But if you were a Broad City fan or a younger person, you could totally see it from that perspective and enjoy it as well. So I, I feel like it's. It's got a broad sort of uh, demographic. But um, let me disagree with one thing there. If you're an older person who likes Gene Smart, great. But if you're a younger person who doesn't like Gene Smart, get your shit together because it's the Gene smart Yeah. And Gene Smart is just crushing. Like, she was, like, just total badass in Watchmen. And she was, like, played, uh, you know, a, you know this uh, great grandma 
in uh, Mayor of Easttown, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Easttown because I love that show. And there is no it's a fictional town. There is no Easttown, you idiot. I've already <laughs> sold all my worldly possessions and oh I've already bought God. a ticket to Pennsylvania. There's already, no place called oh East Town. I'm fucked. I'm so fucked. Oh. Oh, that, all right. Bad move on my part, but I'm, I guess I'm moving to uh, uh, King of Prussia. <laughs> yeah, Upper, Upper Darby. That's a real place where the, where where where, uh, where he solved that. He found the the missing girl in Upper Darby. Yes. That's a real town. Okay, then I'll go, I'll go to where they found the missing girl. And Bryn Mawr. They made a break. She was like, oh, she's gonna yeah. go get a job cutting hair in Bryn Mawr for the rich main line ladies. Bryn Mawr is a real town. All I'm saying is, Gene Smart is for everybody, and uh, so is Hacks. Good stuff. Uh, HBO Max. Check it out. Coming up, we are going to. I enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate that, Lon. Coming up. Uh, <laughs> you didn't make it. It has nothing to do. It's not a compliment for you. You know what? You're right. Mm. Got to stop thinking everything everyone says is about. You got to stop taking credit for hacks. Yep. And I will not take credit for our next show, Underground Railroad on Amazon. Let's do not take credit for this one. That would be really weird. Yeah, that'd be super weird. Uh, Underground Railroad based on the novel. So this is a fictionalized version of uh, the story of uh, slave times and uh, the Underground Railroad, which we think, what do you, what's that look on your face? It was uh, twofold. One was the use of the phrase slave times, which, okay, I mean, not offensive. Slavery? Just not, not what I expected. But also uh, what I really liked was that you put so fine a point on the fact that it's fictionalized as if it's lightly fictionalized when it's about a literal railroad. Like that, that did not exist. Yes, yes. I don't want to blow, um, I don't want to blow anybody's minds here. The Underground Railroad in our world, just a metaphor. They, it was just a series of safe houses that mm-hmm. abolitionists or kindly minded people would allow slaves and hide them. It was not an actual, in this show, it is a literal, there is a railroad with tracks and an engine underground. So that's, it's very fictionalized. Exactly. And uh, Underground Railroad, it's uh, based off of a novel. Mm -hmm. Colson Whitehead. Yes, Colson Whitehead. And directed uh, by Barry Jenkins, all 10 episodes. So, yeah, this is a brutal and at times, uh, you know, and compelling and uh, really... I mean, it's. I don't want to say it's an enjoyable show because, but it is enjoyable, but uh, for varied reasons. Because the the characters and the complexity of these characters, it sucks you in. It's so I, cinematic. I mean, I think that's what I was so struck by. It, it, it it's all of Barry Jenkins' usual collaborators. So James mm-hmm. Laxton, who shot Moonlight, Nicholas Bertel, who wrote the score, and he also wrote like the Succession theme and a lot, a lot of great recent film and TV music. He scored the whole thing. So it really does, in some ways, I'm not trying to do that like, oh, it's a film for TV, but it does feel like 10 hour-long original Barry Jenkins films that look just like films you'd see in a theater or better. And on that level, it's like breathtaking work. I mean, it's stunning. You're kind of nailing it in the way you described it there. Because when you're watching this, you feel like you're in very good hands because Barry Jenkins, uh, his his color palette, his uh, shot composition, absolutely, like it's filled with images that like 
haunt you afterwards and that stay with you. And, and it's meant to do that because like the, the subject matter, it is not pretty. There are moments of joy, there are moments of discovery, but so much of it is just mired in the horrors of um, the real times that are, you know, it's, it's fictionalized, but it takes place in America during uh, slavery or slave time. Right. It's a very realistic depiction of slavery, even while you have this sort of magical realism in terms of the railroad. And it doesn't, it, it's not like, again, we're, uh, you know, a couple of middle-aged uh, white dudes talking about this stuff. So, but like in talking about how some of like the horrors that befall black people in um, shows like Them and different incarnations of uh, Antebellum and other movies and shows, sometimes it feels like, is it too much? But for me watching this, it felt like necessary and, but also brutal and haunting, but not gratuitous uh, and like over the top. I, I mean, I just, I really feel like it hit the desired mark when it's going for relating these horrors to people. Yeah, I, I, we're getting better about this. For for a really mm-hmm. long time, I think, whenever you would see slavery, films or, or shows depicting slavery in America, it, 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 it can't help but dehumanize the slave characters, even as you're trying to invest them in humanity, because yeah. we're just seeing them tormented and abused and it's so one note and it's so repetitive and it, yeah. it's not that it's an unfair depiction it just it can't help but dehumanize the targets and the subjects of so much of this violence and i think what recent filmmakers or tv creators are trying to do we saw it in good lord bird some mm-hmm. and there, there, there's some other recent antebellum i think is an example that's interesting although i don't know if it's always successful where it's 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 humanizing it's it's the slaves aren't just there to be enslaved they're also yes. there to be three-dimensional people who have thoughts and emotions and beliefs and ideas that don't necessarily just reflect being a slave. And I think that, you know, what Barry Jenkins is doing, I mean, we were talking about how beautiful the show looks and how, you know, cinematic it is and and thoughtful it is and how well constructed it is. And I think part of what that does is to broaden the world that the show is taking place in. So it doesn't feel like it's just slaves being tortured or it's just people being owned or it's just work in the farm. There's more to this life and these experiences. And so you get to invest these characters with a little bit more than just being victimized all the time, every moment that they're on screen. And doing that without minimizing it is not easy to do. I mean, you've got to both express how horrific it was to be a slave while also making these three-dimensional people. I don't envy the work that they had to do, but it works very well in this show and it feels more three-dimensional. The world they're in is a nightmare, but the show, there are moments of love and joy and discovery, so it's it doesn't feel like a constant nightmare. And I feel like, right. you know, Barry Jenkins, his work is to be congratulated for that, but also the two leads, um, Aaron Pierre, who plays Caesar, and uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce her name, but uh, Tuso Mbedu, who plays uh, Cora, Cora. Um, are just amazing. Uh, and the type of actors where you can just read so much subtlety in their expression, um, in their face, and you can see the pain, but then you can also see the hope. And like, it gives you the viewer, um, 
a fleeting moment of hope before it's uh, you know pulled away by this nightmare world. But their complexity and their acting performances really sell that vibe as well. Also, um, Joel Edgerton is just this matter-of-fact motherfucker. <laughs> like, he is, um, yeah, uh, he's a slave catcher who is um, just um, brutal and matter-of-fact as he chases down uh, runaway slaves in this world. And I there's a really interesting character, his sidekick, this uh, black child uh, named Homer, played by this actor named Chase Dillon, who is a really just bizarre, interesting, and just kind of evil, like, oh, little son of a gun, that character. I like, <laughs> I, I hate this kid. <laughs> It's such a fascinating character. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's uh, there's it's so much. It's long. It's deep. It's involved. It's a whole undertaking. But it's yeah. very worthwhile, and I highly recommend it. And, and then it also deals with like themes that we haven't that uh, transcend uh, just uh, slavery in the way people of color and black people have been mistreated. They're also like in the second episode, it delves into some stuff that are, that's reminiscent of the Tuskegee experiments where um, black people were uh, given syphilis to see how uh, black men were given syphilis in the Tuskegee experiments, a horrific, another horrific period. So it's dealing with so much subject matter of the dark past that come together in uh, this Underground Railroad. So, yeah, highly recommend it. Again, very cinematic, as Lon was saying, uh, 100% agree. And uh, I don't know if I said this at the top. I find it tonally, it's a little bit reminiscent of The Handmaid's Tale. If you want to just like, you know, what the vibe is, just like this kind of dark, nightmarish uh, imagining of a uh, world. Any other thoughts, Lon? Nope. Let's, uh, let's keep going. All right. Uh, Underground Railroad on Amazon. And uh, finally, we watched uh, one more thing, St. Maud, uh, which is available on Hulu and Amazon, correct? It's on both, yeah. A24 picked it up at festivals, and then it was going to be, it, it was released on Epix, the MGM-owned cable network, which also has a streaming service, but not a lot of people have that one. Uh, it's now popped up on both Hulu and Amazon, so the rest of us can see it. Uh, so yeah, it's an indie horror film. First-time writer-director, Rose Glass, uh, behind it, uh, and it is about a recent convert who is now working as a private care nurse and becomes sort of fixated on saving the soul of her most recent patient, a dancer who has uh, late-stage cancer. This movie is a, it's a dark, weird journey, and it's a bit of a slow burn, but once it gets, I mean, you enjoy the steps along the way and the hints that are dropped, and then once it gets to where it's going, uh, like, it's so worthwhile, I found. like just uh, Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of these moves before. Like, I mm -hmm. feel like it's not it's not reinventing the wheel at all. No. We've seen a lot of these kinds of films where it's this this character that we're following and kind of is having a descent into madness, maybe an mm -hmm. unreliable narrator, and we're sort of left to wonder, like, are all of these crazy, supernatural-seeming things that we're seeing and experiencing, are they just in this character's mind? and they're going crazy or is this a real supernatural world where these awful crazy things are happening we've seen all of that before i think what makes this one work is purely the 
the execution that it's it's you know it's a slow burn it's well made it's well acted the the moments of special effects when they come are well used and you know like sort of effective and efficient um based on our description you probably already kind of have a decent sense of what it's going to be and it does not upset those expectations very much until the very end it's got a it's got a pretty good final beat I would say there are like elements of Midsummer in there, just a tad, and then also the uh, the Michael Fassbender <laughs> film Shame, okay. from uh, Steve McQueen. That's not where I thought you were going to go with uh, it. Especially like the the Dark Knight, like when uh, the when when the main character Maud had like the the Dark Knight of the Soul. Okay, I, I was thinking more like like a like a Black Swan or like a The Machinist or like a Session Nine or where you know one of those movies where yeah. you're you're constantly wondering like. Or even like Rosemary's Baby sort of plays this game where it's like, is this character losing their mind and imagining and we're seeing mm-hmm. what's in their imagination or is all of this really terrifying stuff actually playing out? Or the witch, I guess, could even be an example. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it, it, it does all this stuff really well. It's, it's, you know, it's just a small scale and it's a taut 84 minutes, this movie. So Lean and mean. Um, you can... Lean and mean, and I, I, you know what? I like that. I like that in a movie. Being able to like, oh yeah, like not a huge commitment, and you know what? You you get you get the bang for your buck, and uh, the buck being yeah, your your Hulu or Amazon subscription fee. Is yeah. It, oh, do you uh, off the top of your head know the the name of the actress uh, who played the dancer? Oh, oh, Jennifer L. or E E H L E is how she spells her last name. Ellie or L, one of those. I, I really liked her. She's the supporting character in this film, and uh, I just thought that was um, just a really fun portrayal of this woman who lived this life, but who's now um, in late stage cancer. And but like the character had such vibrancy, and she puts out this vibe of like she's seen a world, and uh, it's played in a really realistic, compelling way. And she reminded me of kind of like a Meryl Streep meets like Tilda Swinton kind of wow. uh, character. Maybe that, and that's just like from her look, but also the portrayal was really uh, wry and sounds enjoyable. Like a, sounds like a one-act play when Meryl Streep met Tilda Swinton. It's very dramatic. Ah, yes. When Meryl <laughs> Streep met Tilda Swinton when she was doing her art installation in the in the glass box. Uh, but yeah, St. Maud, it's, and it's an A24 uh, produced film. And uh, so it says if you're, if you're an A24 fam, fan, <laughs> it, uh, hey fam, if you're an there A24 you fan, it uh, scratches that itch as well. All right, check out St. Maud, available on uh, multiple platforms, Hulu and Amazon. Hulu and Amazon, take your pick, whichever one you prefer. There you go. Lon, uh, we, we've talked a bunch. We'll talk no more. Hoot hoot. Hashtag Owl Nation. I want to thank Starburns Audio. I want to thank uh, Travis Reeves for producing the heck out of this podcast. Jason K for the sweet riffs that open up the show. And Lon, tell them where they can find you. Find me on Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's the easiest place to keep up with everything that I'm doing, I'm working on. You can also read my daily streaming TV newsletter. That's at inside.com slash streaming. And I highly recommend, if you're an Honest Trailer fan at all, check it out this week. We did our Money Plane Honest Trailer, uh, and it features special guest Ryan George from Screen Rant's Pitch Meeting. Uh, It was very fun to get to uh, work on that. So take a look. That's on YouTube. 
Very nice. I know how big of a money plane guy you are, so that must have been very satisfying, Lon. It's, I'm not, it's funny. Now, I have this reputation online because I make fun of it all the time that I'm, like, obsessed with money plane. And, and people write me now and they're like, should I really check out money plane? And it's like, no, it's god-awful. Like, I don't mean, I'm not here to tell you to watch it. I just think it's fun <laughs> to make fun of. Big difference. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it is a, a, a fun running bit of yours. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, that's a, it's just a running gag, folks. Don't take it too seriously. Lon, number one money plane fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, check out all uh, all that stuff. And check uh, out my shit no, too on, only on mine. Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Um, bye, everybody. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Enjoy all of Hal Rudnick's content. At Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K on Twitter and Instagram and twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. We did it. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.